feet, and we don't make you wave your hands, we don't make you wave a flag or anything like that. No, we just, we do take a minute uh, each, each service to just say we're glad you're here and that we hope that you don't kind of rush into today, um, just kind of hoping to do a religious experience and then check off the list, but we hope that like, what you've walked into is a, is a family of God, just one branch of the family of God that are spread out all over the world. Believers who have been saved by grace, just like we have. And uh, we just come to declare Jesus and to encourage one another in the word and uh, in worship together. And so we're thankful you're here. If you're new here, maybe your first, second, third time. We just want to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. And if it feels like that, you can grow in faith and family here. We had an amazing, amazing weekend this past weekend. We had uh, our Fathom Marriage Conference, which was... Awesome. It was such a great time of just encouragement for those that were able to attend. And just such a blessed weekend. And we're just going to keep things rolling. We do have our event, Here for Good, coming up at the end of this month. Just as a quick, small announcement. Here for Good is when we kind of all gather normally, except we come dressed a little bit more comfortably. It's the day where we come together and we actually will sing a song. I'll give you just a little bit of instructions and encouragement. And then we all believe the property. Like together, like some, I don't know what. But we go out into the city, instead of having a church service, we become the church servant. And that's kind of our goal with that, is that we just get a tangible representation that, that church isn't a place we come, but it's who we are, and God's called us to serve our community. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that day. You can invite friends out, too. Like, I, I know sometimes that's a great uh, outreach opportunity for just someone to come and say, hey, come, we're going to go um, clean up the school. People want to help with stuff like that. And so... You'll get a list tomorrow uh, via email if you're on our email list. If not, you can just drop your name and email in our, uh, with the Connect card today, and we'll make sure that you get that email tomorrow, too, that you can fill out the online form. Uh, we'll also have some paper forms uh, over the next few weeks that you can sign up, get a free T-shirt when you come that day, and then we wrap everything up with lunch right back here. We all kind of gather back and eat lunch, kind of picnic together, and just hang out. So it's an amazing day, one of my favorite days of the year for everybody. So it's going to be fun. Don't miss out on that. So we've been going through this series called God of the Underdog, and we looked at uh, David and him fighting Goliath, and last week we looked at Gideon and how God can do more with a little bit, and it's really all about God getting the glory. So we, when we find ourselves in an underdog situation, it's really about God getting the glory. I, I, uh, I used to be an athlete, like highlight the word used to, uh, or the two words used to. I used to be an athlete, I played basketball and football. I mean, to tell you how committed I was to basketball during basketball season, I would usually play like 30 to 35 hours of basketball a week. So it was kind of like my full-time job. That's when I was in, you know, middle school, high school, and just had school all day, eight hours, and then somehow I spent another 30 to 35 hours playing basketball. That was a stupid amount of time for a young person to do it, but I, I loved the game so much. But I was good at defense because I had a lot of energy, and like, when you're young, you just don't get tired. If you're under the age of 25, you have not discovered what it means to be tired yet. You think you've gotten tired, and sometimes you wake up and you feel tired, but I promise you, you don't know what it's like to be tired yet. I think when you hit 25, something switches, and you'll understand there's a different type of tired that I've never known before, and the older we get, the more uh, we understand what it means to be tired. Um, but I, though I loved uh, basketball. I, I played, and... I was good at defense. I was good at passing the ball. I was a terrible shot. I could not hit the broad side of a barn. It was just terrible. And so I really tried to keep the ball out of my hands as much as possible. But we played our crosstown rivals when I was in eighth grade. I played for the Marshall Middle School Dragons. Like, 
Um, and then we played our cross-town rivals, the Tomlin Tigers. And this was like our one rivalry game for the year. And it had gotten down to the very end of the game. And before I tell you kind of what took place there, the thing with like playing sports, I, I never liked running. Like people that run for sport, you're just a different type of human being that I don't understand. Like I don't, I run because I'm being chased or because I'm playing a game. I don't run for fun. Like that's just not in my vocabulary. Um, and so I just, I don't really get that. But at the end of every practice that any sport has, what happens? You run, like you run wind sprints, like in basketball you run suicides, which is like the most depressing <laughs> type of running you could ever do with suicides. And so um, I hated running, I felt like my joints would hurt, I just hated that, but it was necessary, right? It's necessary to do the wind sprints, it's necessary to do what? To build that endurance so that when the fourth quarter gets here and we're down by six or we're down by two, that we've got the endurance to catch up even when we're an underdog. So I'm like, on my team, I'm the most, like, I'm the worst shot on my team. I have the most energy, but the worst shot. And so somehow, at the end of the game, we're down two points in our crosstown rival game. And they, uh, the guy, the, one of the guards, I was a guard too, I was not taking the ball off the court, but they, somebody dribbled up, and I was just kind of sitting on the edge, like kind of the corner of the key, and they, they pass me the ball, and it's a three-pointer, and like the time is going off. Like there's like five or six seconds when we take it in. By the time it hits me, I've got a second to shoot this. So I just throw this thing up. Like it's just a Hail Mary. I'm probably five or six feet off of the, the thing. We were just getting it in. We're eighth graders. Like we don't really know what we're doing. We think we do, but we don't. And so I just jack it up, and it goes flying towards the rim. And it banks off the backboard, and it goes in. We win the game. The only winning shot, game winning shot I've ever had. Yes. Thank you. I was not looking for one, but I didn't call it. Like in basketball, you have to call the shot when it goes off the backboard. I didn't call it. So you know it was luck, and I was terrible, so I knew it was luck. But it went in, and like I later like would get to be friends with guys on the other team, and like they remembered that game. Like it was a that was a big game. They remembered who I was, and I didn't know. But they remembered that, and I, when we're when we feel like we're underdogs, like there's a there's some wind sprints that are actually in our life. Because here's the thing, life's kind of hard. Life's kind of hard. Like marriage is hard. Work is is taxing and exhausting. Raising children is exhausting. Dating in the 21st century is weird and exhausting. And relationships take work and are tiring. And, we find ourselves many times in this cycle where we're just kind of tired. We're just kind of weary of the grind of life, as frustrating and exhausted as we might be. And some of you that worked hard over here over the marriage conference diving in, you might feel like I feel today, and this is a perfect message for me. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit weary. And you may feel like that emotion. You may feel like that with some relationships you're going through. You may feel like that with just the journey you've been on with God. And I want to turn to a passage in John chapter 21. The guy I want to look at today, the underdog, is Peter. Peter. We're going to pick up in John chapter 21 and just kind of remind you of where we're at. John 21 is the last chapter in John's gospel. This is the third time that Jesus would have appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. So he appeared to them three times. This is the third time. This isn't the first time that Peter will have seen him. But they go out, and they're 
Jesus finds them fishing, and we're going to dive into the story and to see what God would speak to us through this today, maybe about our weariness and maybe what we're frustrated about. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You ever fished much? I'm not much of a fisherman at all. And so I can, I can be very familiar with not catching anything. Um, maybe there's something else in your life. Maybe it's not fishing, but there's something that you've tried to do, or maybe a work problem that you've been trying to figure out, or, or something maybe if you're in school, like some kind of school thing that you're trying to wrap your brain around, or maybe a relationship you've been working on for a long time, and kind of the boat's still empty, and you've still caught nothing, like you've worked a lot, you've spent all night, all night fishing was kind of prime time, and, and if you don't remember, like Peter and these guys, most of them were fishermen by trade until Jesus called them and said, follow me. And I want to look at, at uh, verse, is it four that comes up here next? Or three? Yeah, verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So he's going to begin to call out to them here in just a second and ask them a question. But let's just hold here for a second. I think the first thing that I see in this text, or at least the first questions I begin to ask is, okay, what's going on here? God had, had commissioned the disciples to go and make disciples. In Luke 5, he actually tells them, what we're going to see is a very similar passage in Luke 5, in which they're out fishing, and they catch nothing, and then Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side, and they catch stuff so much that the, the net's breaking, and it's kind of an unsuccessful kind of vin, uh, venture that turns into an extremely successful venture at the command of Jesus, but here, this is post-resurrection, and, and remember what happened in Peter's life? Peter denied Jesus three times. Massive failure. Jesus actually foretold that. He, would, he told him to say, you're going to deny me three, three times. And he's like, no, not me, ever. And then he, he did. He failed. And he, he got a chance to kind of see Jesus. But what's going to happen in this text, I think, speaks volume to, to what Jesus is probably speaking to some of us this morning. But what we see here, the question I need to ask myself is, have they forsaken their calling to go make disciples? Or are they just still trying to make a living? Or are they just somewhere in between? Like, I know God has called me to this. I know that I'm called to be doing this, but I'm going to, because what happens after you fish all night? You're going to go home and you're going to crash. And so the opportunity you'd have to, to disciple people and evangelize them that next day, you'd be, you'd be sleeping, you know, during that time. And so it's really a choice of how am I going to spend my time? How am I going to spend my life? What am I going to throw myself into? And so for me, I think this is a moment that they're kind of caught in between. I know what God's calling me to. But I also kind of thinking about going back and Peter just taking a time out where he's like, guys, I'm going to go fishing. And he's the leader of the crew, so what? Everybody else comes fishing with him. The first thing that comes to my mind when I'm looking at this text is, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And here, he knows Peter's heart. And he knows the disciples' heart. Many times we get, we're very caught up on our perception or how people perceive us. Whether they think we're following Christ or whether they're not. Whether they, whether they know about this other life that we're leading or 
not. We get caught up in the perception. Do people see me as successful or smart? Do they see me as doing the right thing or not? We get caught up in the perception and we often forget this very, very important detail that matters more than anything else. That God knows your heart and his opinion lasts in ways more than any other. We can get into this whole thing about the fear of the Lord versus the fear of the man. And, and do we have a greater fear of man than we have of the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not a negative thing. In fact, I think the New Testament clarifies this in 1 John 4, that perfect love casts out fear. And so it's the perfect love for God. Do I love God? Am I honoring Him? Am I revering Him at such a high level that I want to honor Him with my life more than what anybody else thinks? More than my spouse thinks, I want to honor God. Because when I honor God, everything else is going to line up. And, and he'll be able to bless me. But God knows our heart. God knows your heart today. And I think he, he knew these guys were, hey, they're out there and they're frustrated. I think Jesus knew they weren't going to catch anything. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's not in the boat with them either. Because he didn't want them to recognize him up close. He wanted to test and see what was going to happen. And so let's continue reading. I just want to remind you that God knows your heart. Because here's the thing. A pure heart will produce pure righteousness. But when you try to put righteousness, a fraudulent righteousness on the outside, a fraudulent kind of perception on the outside, it's actually a corruption of your heart. But when we say, God, purify it within me, create in me a clean heart, everything that flows from that will be pure also. Verse 5 says this. Jesus, again, they don't know it's Jesus. He called out to them. Friends, haven't you caught any fish? Haven't you any fish? Think about when you're doing something all night. I, or for a long time. For me, I'm kind of terrible at fixing cars. And so when I try to fix a car, it takes me a lot longer. Like uh, Josh and, and Marcus are two guys around here. They really know cars really well. So I lean on them. And what takes them a long time, or uh, what takes me an extremely long time to do, it takes them like two minutes. But I've talked to Marcus when he's when he's working as a mechanic, like he can he knows how to do all these things, but sometimes there's a problem that it takes so much longer than what it should have. It's coming up empty and it's and it's frustrating, especially with these guys who are it's one thing if I go out, but a professional fisherman that can't catch anything all night, like that's a sad, sad day. And then Jesus asks this question that he knows the answer to. He knows they haven't caught anything. And sometimes God will ask us a question or he'll put something in front of us and create an opportunity for us to face our frustration. God will make you face your frustration. God will make you face your weariness. He'll, he'll make you face the relationship that's broken. He's going to make you deal with it at some point. And we put it off and we put it off. And he just asks this question. You caught any fish? Like, how are things working out for you? You know? <laughs> Not super great, Jesus! <laughs> Thanks for reminding us. We were just nodding off because it's been a terrible night, but now that you remind us, no, we haven't caught a thing. We're terrible. And I just wonder, like, did, they obviously didn't know it was Jesus, so was this just Joe Schmo, like, of the neighborhood that's reaching out, hey, man, you caught anything? You know, was it they that kind of perception, or do they think of just kind of a friendly fisherman? Like, hey, you guys, how you guys doing? I don't know the tone of voice that would have communicated that. But they're about 100 yards away, and God will make us face frustration. So many times, he'll, he'll make us face 
what's causing us to be weary. So many times we try to shove it away. Yesterday at the marriage conference, I actually uh, talked about this a little bit with one of the destructive communication styles that we call computing. And, and with com people who are quote unquote computers, they bring the analytics and stats and they try to reason it away. And many times their frustration, we kind of shove it away. And kind of illustration that I said, so usually we have these about 75% of things that we can kind of push out of the way, but then there's this 25%, there's this 15%, there's this 20% that we actually don't deal with. We just shove it up under the rug or we shove it down into the jar tighter and tighter every time until it explodes. And, and that's kind of what happens in our spiritual life when it comes to our frustration, when it comes to our weariness. If we don't face it, if God doesn't bring it before us to say, how many fish have you caught? Sad truth is none. And what we're going to begin to see in this text is that, that maybe Jesus wasn't just talking about the fish. Maybe just like in Luke 5 when he says, I will make you fishers of men. Maybe he wasn't talking about the fish at all. Maybe this had nothing to do with the fish. It was just an illustration to bring them back to that time when they caught a lot of fish, which is what's about to happen here. They caught a lot of fish and Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they left everything. They followed him. But now they're in a place they're caught in between the busyness of life, the, the desire to provide for their family, and, and the weariness of the journey and their past failures. And they've got all this, and now they're just sitting here and kind of contemplating what their future might be. And it's been a terrible night, and they're not even good at what they used to be good at. You can't be free until you face your frustration. Let's look at verse 6 here. He said... Throw your net on the right side of the boat. I'm sure they were like, oh yeah. We never thought of that. On the right side of the boat. And then you'll find some. It, this is a directional kind of command to throw it on the other side. Similar to what he said in Luke 5. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Brian, you were a fisherman. You loved to fish. That's a good day fishing. When you can't even haul it in, like that's amazing. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter... It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken off and he jumped in the water. Let's just process this for just a minute of what's being said here. Um, there's so many fish that were caught. Again, these guys were professional fishermen. We can think to ourselves, was there something special about the other side of the boat? I think there was nothing special about the other side of the boat. I, I don't think it was anything, you know, as far as the research I've done, it makes no difference if you cast the net on this side or on this side. I think what made a difference is that they responded to his voice. And you see, they respond before the, the fish comes in and then John notices it's Jesus. The third thing I just want to share with this, that God will, God will uh, speak in ways that will surprise you. God will speak in ways that surprise you. Sometimes it's from a random stranger on the boat that reminds you that you haven't caught anything all night. And someone that you have no idea about their credibility. But God will speak through them. And if you're open, and if you're not too prideful, then you can haul in a load that you've never experienced before. So much that you can't even get into the boat. But the question is, is, am I open? Am I listening for God to speak in surprising ways? 
Or am I just waiting for the billboard? Am I just waiting for the Sunday service when the pastor is speaking directly to me? Or do we understand and are we open that God can speak all the time and he's wanting to and willing to speak? But we've got to remove some of the blockades that we have to God speaking. First one being sin in our life. It becomes like a plank in our eyes. It becomes like cotton balls in our ears that, that God's voice sometimes is even muddled because we're not focused on pursuing Christ. We're focused on our sin and covering our sin and hiding our sin. Not just our sin, but our, our busyness. Good things that keep us from the greatest things. We're in such a busy society, always moving, and we don't slow down enough, and that's just a practice that I constantly pound here because I've had to learn it the hard way and, and, and want to encourage you to just have a natural flow where you slow down. Like, when is the time in your calendar, in your day, in which you're slowing down to just listen? Because usually when we turn to God, we're just ready to talk. God, this is what's going on. I wish... Hey, can you help me with this test? Can you help me with this child? God, I need to help this child. You know, is it, or is it, God, I'm here, TV's off, phone is muted in the other room, and I'm, I'm here. And I turn the radio off in the car. God speaks to me so many times in the car. You know, I'm a multitasking type of guy, so it's just a great time just to turn it down and just let God speak. It's quiet. Not worry about traffic, you know. Like then I show up and I'm like, how did I get here? It's just like everything's like that. You've been there before. Sin, busyness. I think one of the biggest blockades is we have a false perception of God. Yes. We have a belief, like a, some kind of subconscious belief that He couldn't speak to me. He couldn't speak to me because of what I've done. He, he couldn't speak to me because I'm not a spiritual person. He's not, he couldn't speak to me because I don't even know if I believe all this stuff. He couldn't speak to me because uh, people said I'm dumb and I couldn't. People have always put me in this kind of label so he couldn't speak to me. The truth of the matter is that he does want to speak to you. Like, there used to be a time where everything went through a Moses and a priest of some sort, but when the, the curtain tore, like we have a high priest in, in Christ Jesus, but there's a royal priesthood of believers in which we can enter into the throne room of God. We can enter into communication with Almighty God, but we've got to just let God have our sin and pin it at the feet of the cross because Jesus has already made a way for our freedom in it. We've got to set aside time to slow down and hear his voice. We've got to break down this false perception that thinks that we can't, I can't hear God. Instead, we just open ourselves and say, God, I'm listening. And if you speak through a stranger that's just pointing out what I've done wrong all night long and telling me something stupid that you think I don't know to throw the net on the other side, we've tried that 50 times. But it wasn't about the, like, what the command actually said. It was about whether I was open and hearing God, whether they were open and hearing God speak, and whether I would obey when God speaks in a little bit of a surprising way. Let's continue reading. Go back to verse 6, and then we'll work our way down. Throw you down the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. They found more than some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved John said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his armor, outer garment around him and he jumped in 
the water. He was probably like stripped down, shirt off, like a guy working out in the backyard. He was at work, had the shirt off, and then he would never approach Jesus once he heard it was Jesus. I love that he didn't even see Jesus for himself. He couldn't even affirm. Wait, no, wait, let me make sure if I jump in. He just heard someone say it's Jesus. And he grabbed his cloak and he choked him because he didn't want to show up to Jesus in a disrespectful way. In this culture, you would not come to a superior with like your shirt off or something. You would come properly clothed. He didn't want to show up improperly clothed. But he wasn't willing to wait for... He was diving in. He wanted to go see for Jesus. You guys stay here if you want to. I'm going. And you can tell where he just jumped and this isn't, this isn't a guy who's like made it, you know, done all the right things and has this perfect relationship with Jesus. No, this is the guy that denied him three times. This is the guy that's probably still weighing some guilt and shame for what he did just a few days ago. Just a few weeks ago. But he jumps in and he's like, I want to see Jesus. And I just wonder, like, what we're going to see here in just the next few minutes is we're going to see Jesus' invitation to fellowship with him. Let's continue reading. The other disciples followed in the boat. Don't worry about us, Peter. We'll paddle in. Uh, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. He already had fish. He had some bread there. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let's just pause there for just a second. I want you to wrap your brain around what's happening here. Because Peter goes, and we're talking like a wet net, the size of a commercial net is super heavy as it is. Like think of like your t-shirt when your t-shirt gets wet, like it's it gets super heavy. Think of that with a very large commercial net. The net is super heavy in itself to drag that along. One of us would struggle just to bring the net. And the scripture tells us that it was a large fish. So imagine the size of these fish. Let's just go with a pound and a half. Like that's not that big, but like let's just say a pound and a half. Times 153 plus the net. Peter is beast mode, goes out there. He is so happy to see Jesus that he goes and he grabs this net and he drags it on shore, probably 300 plus pounds. That dude's a man dragging that much weight. And here he, he's at work. God has met them at work. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same uh, with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised. I love that verse 12. Come and have breakfast. I think the fourth thing that, that this text, 6 through 14, is speaking to me and I believe to us this morning that, that God wants to do more through you than you can imagine. Every single one. God, like more, if you imagine that you could help one person in your lifetime, you could save one person somehow. You know, that was always like a thing for me. It's like, man, day, I want to save somebody's life. Like physically save their life. You know, it's, I don't know what it is for you, like what you believe you're capable of. Like sometimes, you're like, I believe I can make this kind of difference in the kingdom. I want to do far more than what you can think or imagine. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's like, if you'll just obey my voice, 
If you'll just obey my voice, I'll do more through you than what you can ever think or imagine. But you gotta listen to my voice. You gotta listen to my voice. You gotta be willing to come after me and to fellowship with me. We, we have all these commands of Jesus, like come and follow, come and learn from me, come and, and, and receive the inheritance. We see all these come and fill in the blank, and here Jesus is like, come eat breakfast, yo. <laughs> come chill out. Come eat. I'm done. We could talk about spiritual nourishment. We could talk about that if we wanted to. But for me, I think Jesus is inviting them into fellowship. Like, I'm leaving on a jet plane, going back to heaven here. This is the last time that Jesus is, is going to see them in person. And um, he's saying that you can do nothing apart from me. Your, your, your success in your job, your success in my kingdom, your success on the ministry team, your success in your family as a parent, as a spouse is is not based on what you can do. It's based on abiding in me. Yes. And if you'll abide in me, if you'll come, just come eat. Like a lot of times, like we've got this big wall up. We've got this big wall of defense that just thinks that we are not worthy. It's like thinking like I would get invited to some um, like big breakfast to, to speak at, and I'd just be so afraid that no, I'm not worthy to do that. Instead, we should have this picture of. Of Jesus just saying, hey, you want to give me breakfast? The food's made. You can bring some of your fish too. It's hot. The fire's hot. Come warm up. Come warm up. Come eat with me. Come fellowship with me. Like, I just think that would be God's cry to us today. He's like, I've got incredible plans for you. I'm going to do more through you than you can ever imagine. But don't get caught up on the fish. Get caught up in the fellowship with because out of the fellowship with me will come more fish than you can drag up. But it's only by spiritual passion and vigor and empowerment that you'll be able to pull the fish in. Yes. And we see with Peter this passion to go see Jesus. And so just the fourth thing there, I think he's got it. Just God wants to do more through you than you can imagine. It's such a powerful text to me, but the text isn't done yet. And God's not... Christ is not done with Peter in this moment. I don't think God's done with what he wants to speak to us. Verses 15 through 19, I'm not going to read them, but you may have known about them, or I'll just paraphrase them. They're having breakfast, having a good time, 153 fish. You can eat some good breakfast that day, ceviche or whatever. And, um, and uh, he pulls Peter aside. And... Uh, he was known as Simon. Simon was his real name, but Peter is the given name that Jesus gave him. He said, because Peter bit rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And Jesus actually, if you look here, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon. He calls him Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. His given name. But Peter is his spiritual name. Because he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Calls him Simon, almost to remind him that you haven't been a rock. Almost face the frustration, almost face the failure, face the pain. Simon, do you love me? He says. Jesus, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He goes, okay, 
Feed my lambs. He goes on to say it again. Peter, or Simon, do you love me? Jesus, come on, man. You know I, I love you. Feed my, my sheep. Take care of my sheep. It goes on the third time. Peter, do you love me? He called him, or Simon, do you love me? Call him Simon to remind him. And we don't see Jesus as a reminder very often. He said, nobody condemns you. Like, leave you in the past. Take your mat and go. Like, he doesn't bring up the past often. But there's something in this text that we need, when we're running the wind sprints of life, when we're running the frustrating nights of life that we kind of need to remember to abide in Him and that our success will not be built on ourselves and on our own will be a failure. We'll come up empty. Even if we're successful in all of man's eye, even if we get the car we dreamed of, the job we dreamed of, we'll show up and we'll be empty inside. Our boat will still be empty. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It matters. God knows your heart. And he wants to fill the boat of your heart. And it's not going to happen through your own efforts or your own wisdom. It's going to happen through sitting down and having breakfast with him. And having fellowship with him. And what's interesting, and some of you probably know this. You've probably heard this. But there's four type of words for love in the Greek language. There's eros love, which is an erotic sexual love. There's phileo love, which is a friendship love. Um, there's uh, sorge, storge love, which is a type of relational kind of, uh, uh, kind of parental love. And then there's agape love, which is the God's love. So there's four words for love in the Greek language. Jesus uses two of them here. The first two times, he says, do you phileo me, son? Do you... Do you love me like a friend? Yeah. And he says again, do you, do you fully love me? Yeah, Jesus, you know what I mean? And then he says, no, do, do you agape me? Do you love me with the Father's love? For us looking on the outside, we'd be like, Peter loves Jesus. Dude just jumped in the water, like leaving the boat behind. He just dragged it up here because he was so excited to see but God knows his heart. Just because there's an external doesn't necessarily mean there's an internal depth of love. And the things that God's called us to, the things that he's leading us to, it's got to be from the inside. That's the only thing that's going to survive. That's the only thing that's going to last. But this, is, this is, goes even beyond what he's going to do through us in the future. This is about what Jesus wants to do in him in this moment. That Jesus wants to publicly restore him in his ministry. To be sent out and to lead. This is a public restoration. God always he desires to bring restoration in your life. He, he will make you have empty boats night after night. If he can get you to the shore, if he can get you to the shore and with an opportunity to dine with him, he, he'll let you go through some sleepless, frustrating nights just to get you at breakfast with him. To get you to the point that says, Oh, I see you, Jesus. I'm hungry for you. And I, God, I love you. I love you with the depth of the Father's love. 
Jesus has already met with Peter, but this is something more. This is a public confession. It's a public restoration of his ministry. And across this place, I believe that God wants to speak into some of our lives that maybe we've looked at our past and we said, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy. Maybe we've, we've, you know, people knew us before we said yes to Jesus and started following Jesus. And, and they know where we've been. That's what makes the testimony amazing. And, and I believe that God's bringing us into right now a time of restoration for some of us. Maybe you're in this place and, and it's, it's just hearing his voice. Like you, I want to zoom in, God. I, I want to tune in to hear your voice. Maybe in this place, like, you've been trying to do this on your own, and you've been trying to, to make, just use your fish instead of coming and just dying at his table and just let yours be on top of that. Just know that he desires fellowship with you today, and he's, he's calling you to be restored. But he cares about your heart. He knows your heart. I just want to provide some space, some opportunity in our service right now. The guys are going to come and lead us, and we're going to break bread in just a moment, and we're going to have an opportunity to come and eat. We're going to have an opportunity to come and reflect because they have bread there at that time, too. And God wants to do something in you. He wants to do something through you, but He wants to do something in you. He wants to fellowship with you, and if you've Maybe even gone to this whole service and it's just kind of been the religious experience. Just know right now, no matter where you've come from or what you've done, God is dying. He's, he's reaching out. He literally gave His Son to have fellowship with you. Literally gave His Son to have fellowship with you. Just think about that in like a really practical sense, in a literal sense. If someone gave a child just to know you, like, sent them to the slaughter to know you. It's a lot to imagine there. A lot to even process how that would be humanly possible because it's really not. But like when someone who sacrificed so much and desires to have fellowship with you, to eat breakfast with you, to know you, why would I sit back like, oh man, I just want to know more. Have breakfast. Let's fellowship. And God's bringing us into that place. And if you've come from a place of just a past that you're not proud of, God wants to bring you into restoration today. If, if you've never been able to hear his voice, but maybe this week as you go forward, you're just going to open yourself up and say, God, speak. I'm, I'm listening. And just be open to God speaking in some surprising ways. I believe that God's going to speak.